Welcome to First Presbyterian Church in North Palm Beach, Florida. We exist to help people pursue and share gospel-driven lives. We hope whether you're investigating faith, a seasoned follower of Jesus, and anywhere in between, this podcast helps you connect with Jesus. The Lord be with you. Thank you very much. My name is John. I'm a pastor in a little town called Holland, Michigan. Anybody heard of Holland? Yeah? It's on the far west side of the state of Michigan, the opposite side of Detroit, if you're wondering. Uh, Your beloved pastor, Jared, is my dear friend. So my family, who's at least most of them, who's sitting up in the balcony, we drove the 1,353 miles last week to join you on this New Year's Eve Sunday morning. So thank you so much uh, for letting us be with you. It's New Year's Eve, so maybe you've got like, uh, what do you call them, resolutions on the mind. It also happens to be the only Sunday in the season of Christmastide. So a long time ago, Christians agreed together, there's no way we can celebrate the enormity of the incarnation of God and the person of Jesus Christ in a single day. So they gave it 12 days. You've heard of the 12 days of Christmas? They gave it 12 days, not to limit it, but rather to awaken us to the stunning reality of God becoming like us. So I'm sure your Christmas trees are put away, yeah? And the stockings are stuffed back in their basement boxes. Uh, But we're going to celebrate Christmas today. How does that sound? That's what we're going to do, so I I need a little more affirmation because that's what's, there, there it is. So I was walking through Target. I did all of my uh, shopping the day before Christmas. You know, that's wise. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was maneuvering my way through Target, and I overheard an argument in the aisle next to me. I'm assuming a teenage daughter arguing with her mom, trying to convince her to buy that one last very important gift. She said, come on, Mom. That's what Christmas is all about. I thought to myself, a pewter duvet cover in aisle four. That's what Christmas is all about. But I, I took her challenge to her mom as a challenge to myself. If I, if I had to choose a word that would give voice to what this is all about, what word, what, what, what one syllable? So I was thinking about it after her challenge to her mom, which became a challenge to me, and I thought, I think this whole thing's about grace. Does that sound about right? I mean, think about it. God, the eternal God who spoke the world into existence with a word. That's what Christians think. Christians think God spoke and life happened. That God, the eternal one, took on the finitude of our lives. He took on the vulnerabilities of the infant child, wrapped in bands of cloth, grace, lying in a manger, grace. Grace, the announcement out in that shepherd field on that angel night, good news, great joy for all people. Sounds to me like grace. You too? I hope so, because that's what the sermon's about. So listen with me to the story of grace as it begins to unfold in Matthew's gospel. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary 
was engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and I'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph Woke from his sleep, he did just as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary to be his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son. And he named him Jesus. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus had been born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is this child? who has been born king of the Jews. For we have observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. And King Herod heard it. He was frightened. And all Jerusalem with him. So he summoned all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written in the prophet, and you, Bethlehem of Judea, are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah. For from you shall rise a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then King Herod secretly called the wise men and learned from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I may also go and pay him homage. And having heard the king, they set out following the star, which went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they knelt down and they paid him homage. And opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by a different road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Matthew 1, 18 through chapter 2, verse 12, if you want to find it in a Bible near you. It's the story of grace. God becoming like us. God stooping down. God drawing close. God coming near. God taking on what we are so that by his amazing grace, we could become like he is. What does that sound to you if not grace? That's what this whole thing is about. Grace. Grace in the details of your lives. Grace, it's bigger than you can imagine. Grace. What are you going to do with it? If you're the note-taking type, those would be the notes to take. Grace in the details of your lives. Grace, bigger than you can imagine. Grace, what are you going to do with it? The story starts, it starts big. 
Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. To speak Messiah is to draft into action the hopes and longings of all the people over all time. Finally, one would come to make all things right and to make all things new. Finally, one would come and pick up the broken pieces of our lives and the whole world and put it back together in some beautiful whole. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. The story starts big, but then it funnels real fast to the particularity, to the detail birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. It's like Google Map, you know. I've been paying a lot of attention to Google Maps on our 1,353 mile trip. You type in your destination and it gets real big and then right to where you are. Mary was engaged to Joseph. So apparently Grace knows about your relationship status. But before they lived together, apparently Grace knows a lot about your life. She was found to be with child. Apparently, Grace knows our secrets too. Joseph, being a righteous man, caught somewhere between law and love, plans to dismiss her quietly. So Grace apparently knows the internal processing of our interior lives. I wonder if he told her mom and dad. Okay, here's the deal. She's pregnant, and I'm not the father. I'm going to head back to the shop. I'm going to build some stuff. I don't want to talk about it. He planned to dismiss her quietly. Just when he had resolved to do this. He was going to give it one more night, just one more night. And then get out of town. Or maybe he was going to kick her out quietly. Or I'm not sure. He planned to dismiss her quietly. Just when he had resolved to do this, he laid down one last time. And, and, and some. By God's grace, he was able to fall asleep, though the anxieties had to be high. And in his waking sleeping, he catches a vision. An angel shows up. An angel says, Joseph, apparently Grace knows your name. Joseph, son of David, apparently Grace knows your grandparents' names too. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Apparently he knows how, uh, how, how scared we are of the dark. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you'll name him Jesus, for he'll save Grace. Grace, you see how it funnels from this big, huge, glorious claim of all things being made right, the birth of the Messiah, down, down to the very particularities of their life, which I take as evidence, it's particular for your life too. I don't know what you brought into First Presbyterian Church of North Palm Beach this morning. I'm guessing some cross between hurt and hope. Anybody? Some, some, some balance between... Sad and glad, anybody? Grace there. Grace for you. Grace in the details. So I'm a pastor of a church up in Holland, Michigan, a place called Pillar. During the season of Advent, you know Advent, the four Sundays that precede Christmas, uh, we borrowed a theme, walking in darkness, looking for light. I made it up. I thought it was really great. Uh, each Sunday, we tried to be honest with ourselves about where darkness hides. Uh, One of our traveling companions during Advent was a woman named Ruth Haley Barton who wrote a book titled Saving, uh, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. In it, she writes, only those who have confronted their own darkness can be trusted to lead others to the light. So with that in mind, I invited that pillar community to pay attention to their own darkness, their longings, their aches, their 
their wonderings. And I had them write them down on a card, which everybody always loves when the pastor has you write something down. And then I had them fold it up and bring it forward. It was anonymous, and they put it in a basket. And then that week, I read everything they wrote, and I sort of offered it in my reading. I sort of offered it as a prayer. I'm not going to break any confidences, but I did categorize the sorts of things people wrote down, the sort of sorts of darknesses that exist, at least in that congregation up there, probably not down here. Uh, there was a lot of people up there who are really concerned about the global situation. Wars and rumors of war and climate change and there were a lot of people, I was surprised by this, the numbers of people who wrote down some version of family dysfunction, some, some version of family broken relationship. Anybody in North Palm know anything about that? I guess it's just in Holland. Uh, there are a few people who were vulnerable enough and courageous enough to name addiction. I won't ask. There were a few people who, who, who named their need to control. Several people wrote down anxiety and depression. And I'm sure that it's just located up there in Holland. It's not true of you down here. But if by chance it is, if on the off chance any of you know that sort of pain, hurt, sadness, longing, darkness, hear it now, hear it today, grace. Grace for you in the details of your lives. That's what this thing is all about. Do you know the name Brennan Manning? He wrote a book titled The Ragamuffin Gospel. He's sort of a spokesperson for grace. Our huffing and puffing to impress God, our scrambling for brownie points, our thrashing about trying to fix ourselves while hiding our pettiness and wallowing in guilt, our nauseating to God, and our flat-out denial of the gospel of grace. Our approach to the Christian life is as absurd as the enthusiastic young man who is who had just received his plumber's license and was taken to see Niagara Falls. He studied it for a minute and then said, I think I can fix this. What if you don't have to fix it? What if you don't have to tame it? What if, what if you just get to receive it? What if you just get to embrace it? What if you just get to behold it? Grace. That's what this is all about. And it's bigger, and I'm moving along if you're still taking notes, it's bigger than anything you can imagine. Grace. So let's set the Joseph moment aside now and move to the wise men scene. Who are these guys? These wise men. Sometimes you may have heard them referred to as the magi. They're astrologers. They read the stars. These are the guys who turn to page A11 in the newspaper to find their fortune. We sing of them as the three kings of the Orient. The Western Christian tradition names one uh, Balthazar from Arabia, 1,200 miles from Bethlehem. A second Melchior from Persia, another 1,200 miles. A third Gaspar from India, 5,000 miles. So what do you think? Are these, were that like an astrology conference? You know, they're all together and they all, hey, look at that star, and they all start wandering. Or are they independently, each paying attention to the stars, and each of them sees this new one rising and it starts moving, and they start following, and they, and they converge on Jerusalem, and they end up in Herod's palace. And they announce to Herod the good news of the birth of the king. 
And Herod's terrified, and all Jerusalem is terrified with him. Check this out. The wise men from the east become the evangelists before they were evangelists. That's how big this thing is. These guys who are not otherwise likely to be included in this story of salvation. They're not Christians. I mean, nobody was Christian at that moment in history, but you get my point. These are not the kind of guys you're going to draft into the action of the story of salvation. And yet here they are. Grace. It is bigger than you can imagine. Wider than you can think. Deeper than you can go. Higher than you can ever find. Grace. There is no past that you brought into this place that isn't open to the change of God's future for you. Grace. Whatever the voices in your head and heart hounding you about who you are and who you're not, get silenced now. Grace. Isn't it beautiful? Uh, Brennan Manning again. God loves you unconditionally. As you are and not as you should be. Because nobody is as they should be. It's the message of grace. Grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all our might to try to find something or someone it cannot cover. Grace is enough. Jesus is enough. It's so big you can't find the end. It's so large, you can't see the bottom. Grace. Where I come from, lots of people would have said amen right there. Anybody? Okay, three of you are with me. Grace, the details of your lives. Grace, it's bigger than you can imagine. Grace, what are you going to do with it? You know what I mean? Like, I suppose you could use it as permission to go on doing whatever you wanted to do anyway. And yet the irony is no amount of screwing around excludes you from grace. Isn't that amazing? I'm guessing you could try to hoard it too, you know, keep it to yourself. As if it were meant for a select few. Or you could give it away, you know. It's like a well. It's just the, the water just keeps, it just keeps coming. It's just, it's grace. So you just give it away. Be, be gracious. That's what you can do with it. I want to set aside the, uh, set next to each other, the Joseph moment with the wise men scene. There's a parallel here. So uh, we're not exactly sure how much after the birth of Christ, how much time had transpired after the birth of Christ before the wise men showed up. The liturgical calendar would suggest 12 days. That is very unlikely. I mean, 1,200 miles, 5,000 miles. So some have suggested it was actually years later. So Matthew, because the, the, the chronology is so spread apart, Matthew's actually making a point in setting these two stories right next to each other. I want you to compare with me their similarities. In each case, there's a messenger. Uh, this is Matthew 1.20. Just when Joseph had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared. So Joseph gets a messenger. Now the wise men seen. Herod, this is Matthew 2.1. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So now Joseph gets a messenger angel. Herod gets a messenger wise men. In each case, they're given the announcement of the good news. Name him Jesus. He'll save. Call him Emmanuel. He's close to Joseph. To Herod. Where is this child born? King of the Jews. You see the similarities between the two? In each case, they're terrified. The angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid. 
And after the wise men make their announcement to Herod, Herod is terrified, and all Jerusalem with him. And in each case, they respond. Joseph wakes up and does just as the angel has commanded him. Herod, we don't exactly know how he responds in the moment, but we do know the wise men are warned in a dream not to return. You see the similarities? I think at least in part inviting us to wonder for ourselves, what are you going to do with grace? What are you going to do with it? Hoard it? Keep it? Or give it away? Give it away? Give grace away so you're making New Year's resolutions? How about be gracious? Well, what are the fruit of the Spirit? Anybody know the fruit of the Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there were a few more people in the world who lived that way? The more beautiful way, the Jesus way, grace. I mean, currently the nature of our public discourse is like second graders on a playground arguing over a swing. What if a couple of us just went the way of grace? You know, the vitriol of our cultural moment has not been going well for any of us. What if a few of us went the way of grace? It just keeps coming anyway. You might as well give it away. So you can forgive and you can reconcile across your differences and you can pursue the one you don't like all that much and you can pray for the one who doesn't like you all that much. Grace. I guess I'll just let you wonder on this New Year's Eve morning, what are you going to do with grace? Before we served the church up in Michigan, uh, we were out west near Seattle, about 100 miles north. Anybody know the Pacific Northwest? It is glorious. It is a long way from here. Uh, we were out there for about 10 years, served a little church out there called First Reformed Church. Whidbey Island is the, the, the island we lived in Puget Sound, uh, most famous for its uh, naval air station. Whidbey Island has 10,000 active sailors coming and going all the time. Such a dynamic environment. You know, you'd get the 18-year-old enlisted guy who's trying to figure out his life, and you'd get the 30-year-old officer whose next station is the Pentagon. It was such an interesting dynamic. Uh, trying to sort of involve ourselves in the life of the community, on Friday nights, I would sell hot dogs at the local high school football game, the Oak Harbor Wildcats. I think it was like PTA or PTO or, you know, one of those groups. So I'm flipping dogs, and the, and the Navy would uh, send... Um, sailors to help us serve hot dogs so that they could get community service hours. They get like patches if they have uh, community service hours. So uh, one Friday night, I'm flipping dogs at the game, uh, and four Navy sailors show up, and one of them is a guy named Corn. Corn is big and bold and brash and barrel-chested. He's got tattoos climbing his neck, and I thought for a while he was actually wearing long sleeves, but it turned out they were just sleeves. So you get, you get the idea, of, and he's, he's bragging to me all first half about all of the things he's done all over the world, Guam and Japan and Pensacola and San Diego, the escapades on Friday nights and the escapades on Saturday nights and the escapades on Tuesday nights. It did not matter. Corn was going after it. And at about halftime, he said to me, so what is it that you do? Pastors don't like to answer that question very honestly as a surefire way to end the conversation. But I felt trapped, so I said, yeah, well, Corn, I'm a pastor. <laughs> it was like I had punched him, you know, in the nose. He, he sort of startled for a second and then got back at it. He said, I love faith. 
I like them all. I'll go to your church if I'm not hungover. I thought to myself, well, that's great, Corn. Uh, services are at 9 and 10.30. See you there. So I woke up that Sunday morning two days later, having completely forgotten about Corn, only to be reminded when the man showed up. He showed up and sat in the last row on the center aisle, which normally would have been wonderful, except for the fact that's where Aunt Jessie sits. It's probably not true here, but at least out there, people sort of tended to their same seat every Sunday. And Aunt Jessie, always, she was the 95-year-old matriarch of the congregation. She always sat in the last row in the center aisle. And I could see Bud Zilstra and Ed Boonstra discussing with each other how they're going to get corn out of Jessie's seat, which is not how you want to welcome a visitor. But they did it anyway. They asked him to move. So corn gets up out of his pew, moves one pew forward. He ends up talking to Jessie. They had a fine time. Now, I, I was not expecting to see corn ever again, except for the fact that my wife might be the nicest person that has ever existed. She made a beeline for corn after the service and invited him over for lunch. I was ready to put my feet up and watch some football, but corn's coming over for lunch, and her hospitality had him trapped. So she invites him to church the next Sunday. He starts coming, and each Sunday he starts coming. He kind of moves a couple pews closer until finally sitting like right where you are, in the fourth row on this side, standing uh, next to my wife, Kristen. Now, this is a pretty small church, so the music is nowhere near the quality you all just enjoyed. We're talking about a poorly played piano on a good day and the organ awfully played most days. And we're singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Do you know this hymn? Uh, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune thy heart to sing thy grace. So we're singing, and Corn's standing there, you know, barrel-chested. He's not singing. And then we get, and Kristen, my wife, is telling me the story later. We get to that part in the hymn that goes like this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And Corn uh, uh, elbows my wife and says, I think this song is about me. And in, in the economy of God's mercy, even though the organ sounded terrible and our voices were bad, Corn became a Christian. Isn't that amazing? Now, the Navy is what the Navy is, so he was stationed elsewhere and we lost track. I'm, I'm, I'm offering this story, wondering, what are you going to do with grace? It wants to work its way, maneuver its way into the details of your lives. It's bigger than you can imagine. The question is, what are you going to do with grace? Amen? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us at FPC. For more info and to connect with us, check out www.firstpresnpb.org.